Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Fundamentals, an OKC UK podcast. I'm your host, Tom Snowden, the founder of OKC UK. And this week I am joined by Janal Taylor, who is a writer at Welcome to Loud City. I almost forgot that then. <laughs> how, how are you doing, Janal? Uh, pretty good, thank you, mate. Not too bad. First time I think I've done a pod with someone else from the UK. It's a bit different recording at this time rather than recording at three, four o'clock in the morning, which honestly is pretty nice. I won't lie. Well, this this is still late for us, to be fair. It's half 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 past eleven at the time of this recording. At night, obviously, we get used to it. Watch it, being an NBA fan, don't we? I mean, yeah, definitely. definitely. I know you're, you're you're also the first UK Thunder fan to be on the podcast you're not the first uk guy but the first uk funder guy so you can take that with you as you sleep happily in your bed tonight i'll do a little celebration be like a bit of a sadio mane kind of thing just walking around with my arm in the air i forgot you're a liverpool fan moving on um yeah so brandon's not joining this week he's chipped a nail so has cried off no i'm joking he's working so obviously just myself and Janelle this week, which is obviously not a problem at all. So quickly, before we jump in and talk some Thunder basketball with Janelle, I'm going to quickly go through the games that we've missed. Obviously, we didn't record last week because it was my birthday and Brandon was on holiday or vacation, if you're weird and American, for some reason calling it a vacation instead of a holiday. But no, the first game since the last time we recorded was a home defeat against the Cavs. 129-102. Wasn't great defensively, which I think has been a certain trait in the last couple of weeks. I don't think our D has been as good as what it has been. Ty Jerome was great off the bench, scoring 23. Uh, the only other positive I saw come out of that game is we did have seven players to score 10 or more points in that game, which is kind of a reoccurring pattern. We Our offense is pretty spread, especially with Shy and Al Horford not playing. Second game was a home game against Philly, also another defeat. I'm, I'm just going to fly through the games. There's no point in me saying a defeat, is it? We're in an 11-game, I think it's 11-game stretch of losses. So, But yeah, the Philly game was 117-93. I thought Bays, as he has done in the last 10 or so games, has looked really solid. Uh, Tony Bradley came back to haunt Philly a bit, had a very good game, I thought. 16 points, 14 rebounds, three blocks as well solidifying the point that OKC should build around them, as Joel Embiid wanted Philly to do. Uh, the third game away at the Jazz, obviously, was a loss. 106-96, and out of those 96 points, Lou Dort scored 42. Went absolutely crazy out of nowhere, but also got seven rebounds, three assists and four steals, which I was absolutely loving in my fantasy basketball. Um, Moses Brown got another double-double. I'm pretty sure that was one of his last impact games recently. I don't think his impact has been as severe as what it had been uh, since that game. I've got, got, got to talk about Dort now since I've mentioned him. Janelle, Lou Dort, 42 points, which I'm pretty sure matches Shai's game high as well. Is it 42 that Shai got? But that was pretty incredible watching, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I, 
he just seemed to be in a rhythm all night. And it's hot, really odd to say that about a player that, if you think about last season, couldn't seem to throw the ball in the bucket at all. He just couldn't seem to hit the broadside of the barn, quite frankly. But just the way that he went about it, he was efficient from deep. He was aggressive, you know, when he was driving the ball. And he was willing to take and carry the offensive load for the Thunder, which I was obviously very impressed by. But it does kind of suggest that he can take on a bigger role in the offense, especially when Shea comes back. When Shea comes back, there's still the second or third score is still a little bit up for grabs. And if Dort can sort of progress into that and become like a decent offensive player who can knock the three down, uh, he's never going to be a 38, 39% shooter. But if he can get to, say, 36 and he can drive and he can defend at the level he is, he's such a valuable player to have. Have a 3 and D winger like that, the Thunder will be on a good start to their rebuild. Obviously, it's a well-known point as well. In a podcast episode I done with Brandon Rabar, Tom's take that week was Lou Dort has reached his offensive ceiling, and ever since that, I'm sure he listened to the podcast. He's just proved me wrong. Obviously, as you said last season, specifically during the season, his offense wasn't really there. But then when we went to the bubble, we we started seeing those three point scoring. And it's like okay, he's worked he's worked on a three point shot, and then this year especially since that podcast. He's just continually getting better on offense, which obviously for a player as good as he is on D and how amazing his contract is, he's turning out to be surely one of the best free agent signings ever, if not the, in terms of a guy who was undrafted. I know you've got guys... uh, I don't know, I can't think off the top of my head. It's too late for me to pull a name out the hat that was on draft and went on to have a good career. But Dort's going to be up there. It's crazy the amount of offence that he's been showing. Uh, so after the Jazz game, another defeat, 147-109 against the Warriors. I thought it was one of our worst defensive performances of the season. Obviously, Steph Curry's been on fire recently. The only positive for me out of that game, I thought the two centres, Moses and Tony Bradley, had great games. I've been really impressed with Tony Bradley since he's come in. Uh, whether he hangs around in the off-season is beyond me. What, what what do you think with Tony Bradley, actually? This, what, what do you think? Obviously, he's an expiring contract and he's shown he can be good off the bench, but he could also be a good starting option as well, couldn't he? I kind of think if he comes back cheap, I'd take him. I think he's just a solid... I don't necessarily see him as a starter, but I just think he's a very solid backup big man. He does have a couple of issues. He's not particularly mobile. So against smaller, faster players, or if he gets if he gets the guard switched onto him, he won't be able to contain him. And he's not comfortable guarding in space yet. But his rim protection is really good, I would say. He doesn't get over-aggressive and start to chase blocks like less like... I think Nerlens Noel used to have an issue with that. Bradley's very good at staying vertical and just closing the angles off. And it usually works out pretty good for him. I mean, I wouldn't mind bringing him back on a cheap contract. If he gets something any more than, say, if he gets like $6 million a year, $7 million a year, it's not worth it. Three $4 million, three or $4 million a year, I think that's a good deal for the Thunder. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I do think he probably would be looking more at the six $7 million a year mark. I think I think maybe six seven mil a year for one year wouldn't be a bad deal. Just say come back, we'll give you 
a little bit more, but you've got to prove it to keep that sort of contract. I don't think there's no harm. We've got the cap space unless, unless you never know, we might draft even Mobley. And if that happens, then I can't really see we'd need Tony Bradley. Uh, after that, we had the another uh, game on the road against the Pistons, 104-110. Dort scored 26 again, continuing that uh, offensive stretch that he's on at the minute, just leading the offense with Bays. Uh, 13 team steals and 8 blocks, I thought was really good. We were really solid defensively that night, which... Surprised me considering how bad I thought we were against the Warriors. But they they came back, really good uh, defensive performance. Game against the Raptors, uh, a 106-112 loss. Dort went for 29 when he had, I think he had 21 at the end of the first. Uh, so I'm sure we were all thinking he's going to go for 50 or 60 in this game. He was just shooting lights out. I don't think he missed a basket in that first quarter either. One of the worrying points was clear to see for me in that game with Moses Brown and his footwork is going to require a lot of work. I think a lot of the fan base have picked up on his feet and the way he moves. And I thought Isaiah Roby, which I will get your thoughts on, Janelle, actually. He's he's got to be feeling hard, hard done by now that he's not starting. Obviously, we've got Poku, we've got Bays, who I would start over Roby. Moses Brown, obviously, I'm not a big fan of Roby at the five. But Roby's been one of our best performance, uh, consistent performance this season for me. Do you reckon he can feel a bit hard done by not starting more games? Possibly. I think it's a fair shout. If you look at the other players on the roster and you look at how Roby's played, he's got a very good case of being a starter, but then it's a case of the Thunder have got priorities that need to be satisfied. I don't want to sound horrible to Isaiah Roby, but he's not as high on the priorities list as Pogoshevsky, who's a long-term project who needs minutes now because his ceiling is higher than what Isaiah's is. And the same can be said for Darius Baisley as well. I think, uh, to be honest, I think Roby's sort of role on the Thunder is kind of evaporating. If you look at Deck coming in, who is 6'8", power forward kind of size player. And if you look at if the Thunder do draft a big or someone who can play a power forward, say like a Kaminga, there isn't really much space for Isaiah Roby. So maybe he gets traded in the offseason. I don't really know, to be honest. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see what sort of return we'd get for Roby. So I do think he is a guy who will continue to grow. I was really chuffed to see that he wasn't one of the guys who got waived before the season starts, a lot of the fan base are calling for Roby to be waived instead of the Jackson that didn't stay. I always get them confused. And uh, TJ Leaf. Yeah. Which, right. which surprised me. But no, Roby's been outstanding this year, I think. He had a really solid game, only playing 20 minutes in that game against the Raptors. Uh and then we had a game against the Wizards. It was great to see Russ play again. I just, as I'm sure we all do, we all fanboy over Russ. It's going to be a sad day, for, especially for me, considering that's the reason I got into the Thunder and basketball when he calls it a day. But obviously, he, he knew what had to be done. He he scored a triple-double on us. And Bayes got a career-high 26 
which I'm, I'm still amazed he's only gone for 26, but when his three-point shot is as inconsistent as it is, it's going to float around that mark. Obviously, I talk about Bays on every single podcast. I'm the biggest Bays fan that you can meet, and I will take that to the grave with me. No one's a bigger Bays fan than me. <laughs> uh, and then the last game was a game last night against the Pacers, 116-122. And strangely enough, that 116 was one of the highest scores at least I've got written down here. So it could be dating back even further than that that we've scored for a long time now. Just looking back at other games. Uh, that's three weeks ago. Still haven't scored one 116. Four weeks ago, 116. So I'm not going to look any further than that. So that was the highest score for a month. Which yeah, is a bit worrying. That, that that's that's mad. I, I I know I wrote down it was our highest score, so I knew it would have been for at least a couple of weeks, but for a month. That's scary. But Bayes and uh Mihailuk were impressive last night. Carried the uh team on offense, I thought. Obviously it was a shame that Poku went out because I thought Poku could, uh, I can't speak, it's too late for me. Poku I feel would have had a big game last night. It's a shame he wasn't feeling up to it, had an illness of some sort. I've got, I've got to talk about it now that I've brought it up. 116 points is the highest score the Thunder has scored for over a month. What are your thoughts on that? That's kind of worrying. I know that Shea's been missing for a long period of time, but still, like... 116, you would expect to get to that score, even if, like, on a night that when your offense is firing, you would expect to get to that score. And I know that the offensive rating suggests that the Thunder have been pretty poor over the last month or so, but if you look at comparable teams, they've still been able to do the same thing and get to a high total, whereas the Thunder just haven't. It's a case that the Thunder just don't have enough offense with, say, Horford and Shea sitting with them. Chase sat before and Horford was playing. It was just enough to tide it over and same vice versa. Now it doesn't really work. And especially without Muscala. Like, I know we all like to have a bit of a laugh and a joke about Mike, but you could rely on him to come off the bench and knock down three threes or four threes a game. And, you know, that's like 12 points, nine points, which is, you know, can be a margin of victory. Right now, Thunder are finding it difficult to score. Yeah, completely agree. And as you said earlier when talking about Thornton Bays, there's not that consistent scorer every game at the minute. You look back at maybe the last three games, Bays has gone for 20 plus, but can he do that consistently? No, he can't. Do I think he's able to? Yes, I can. But I do also think there's plenty of other people who can do that. Tio's shown it at times this, this year. Moses has had a couple of big games. Obviously, you've got Shy, you've got Dort. There's plenty of guys who can score. But there's a lot of guys still working on that consistency. But that's always going to happen, having a young team. So, I've spoken enough now for the last five minutes, running back the last games. So, we're, we're, we're going to take a break and let Janelle do some talking. So, we're going to go on to the player of the week is what we'll do first. But obviously, it's going to be the player of the last two weeks. So all the games that were mentioned, Janelle, has there been anyone that's impressed you the last two weeks who you give that accolade to? I think the person who's probably impressed me the most is Lugan's door. I did not expect him. 
He's, I think he scored 42, 26, and I think I've got written on my notes again, he's scored, I think, 26 in another game as well. Like, he's just finding ways to score now. He looks a bit tighter off the drive. His handle looks a bit better. And he looks like he's now starting to work out the footwork and finishing around the rim. I was in a press conference the other day with Coach Mark. I was listening in, and he said that the key thing in that for Lou is just finding the timing on his drives and learning when to go up for the layups and finish and I think if he can get that nailed down then that's another uh, string to his bow that he's added for next season if we have a guy that can do who can drive and create with the ball who can shoot from deep who can defend like he does at the level that he does is a valuable player and we're starting to see that come from him these last two weeks have shown that Lou Dort can be a really serious offensive weapon on you know any given night the key thing for him now is just finding that consistency. He can't be having nights where he scores 26 and the next night he scores eight. He's got to get to that 13, 14 point mark more frequently, more regularly. He needs to take a leaf out of Shea's book, to be honest, because Shea, you know, I think every single, pretty much every single game this season, he'll get to 20 points solidly and he'll get you four or five assists. He needs to have a bit more of a low variance approach in his game. Well, he's not called Lou the Beast for nothing in his Twitter handle. And pre- yes, his Twitter handle with that, isn't it? For no so- solid reasons. It was only going to be either him or the other one for me who would get player of the week. Uh, but for me, I'm taking my guy, Bays. He's, he's, he's come in for a lot of stick this year. There's been two podcasts since I've started where I've spoke for two or three minutes defending the guy. The guy's 20 years old, second year player, still one of the youngest players in the NBA. His offensive game will come. His defensive work, I think, is seriously underrated. I think he's a very, very good defender. Yeah, he, he struggles with his three-point shot at a time, but when, when he's driving, there's not a lot of, of players in the league who are more confident than him in the way he drives. To me, I've, I've, I think he's really shown what he is capable of, specifically in the last three or four games. And I do think it will continue while Shy is out. I just, he put too much pressure on himself. But then Mark uh, Dagnall knows that he does as well. I I see Mark talking to Bays probably more than I see others during a game. The only one I might say maybe. Dagnot talks to more would be Poku because you just see Poku, Poku will do something and the first thing he does is he looks over at the bench. It's always the first thing he does. I don't know why he does. It's like he's over there looking to make sure no one's pissed off with what he's doing or not. That's that's precisely it. In uh, sort of the Balkan countries, the coaches can be quite angry and you have to follow the letter of the law completely. And you have to follow what they need. So there was a very famous example with Bogdan Bogdanovic. Every time he took a shot, that was kind of out of the rhythm of the offense. I think his coach would just shout at him and get angry. So when he came into the NBA, that trait sort of carried over. And people were wondering, why does he look when he was playing so scared? I think then he eventually explained it and people understood why, you know, he was so hesitant with the ball. No, I didn't think of it like that. It's quite good. Because it, do, it does make me laugh when I see Poku look over. Because he, he, he has no facial expression when he does it either. Like, he's not looking over there to be like, oh, yeah, I've just done that with a smile on his face. Or he's not over there, like, looking scared. He's generally just 
glancing over there just to see if anybody wants to see if anybody's clapping or giving him crap. But no, so Ludor and Darius Basie take the Player of the Week accolades this week. I think that's the first time for both of them for quite a number of weeks. So while we're talking about Poku, we'll move on to the weekly segment of Rookie Watch, which we should all know by now is an update on our thoughts on Poku and Tio. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly go first on what I've seen of them the last two weeks. I'm sure you'll have a bit more to talk about them since we haven't heard your opinions on either of them. So Tio obviously still gets a lot of turnovers, but again, similar to Poku, I can say it for both. They've both grown extremely well over the course of the season. For me, uh, Tio's passing is very underrated amongst our fan base. I don't expect it to be underrated around the NBA yet. It's not that many people would have seen him. But amongst our fan base, obviously people look at Ty Jerome and Shy as our best passers. I do think Tio is going to get there with his passing. Obviously, he's tipped to be the next Tony Parker. So if if you can follow that, then stay at OKC for your whole career for all I care. Um, and then Poku, he's just an absolute ghost of what he was at the start of the season. He, he seems like a completely different guy. And I, I've, I've said that to Brandon over the course of other episodes. I think the G League just absolutely sorted him out. And he came back a completely confident man. So, Poku, Tio, carry on the way you are. I think they're both growing really well. And they they still have such a huge future for me. What what are your thoughts, Janal? We'll start, start with Tio. I think with Tio, I mean, I'm a huge fan of this. And I know someone else is an even bigger fan. I mean... Uh, Hunter Harjo, I do a podcast with him here and there. He's a massive Maladon fan. The thing is with Teo, the one thing that I've always been that surprised me this season, I think it was maybe two or three games in the season, was that his sense of timing and his awareness on the court and he's very precocious as a passer and how he picks his passes out. And he just tries stuff that you wouldn't necessarily see on an NBA floor. Like his passing is, is a very much a strength of his. But I'd say at the moment, it kind of feels like he's hit a rookie wall. I think his season in Europe last year was only around 36 games and he's played pretty much every single game of this NBA season. We're about 57, 58 games in deep. His scoring efficiency has kind of fallen off a cliff. He looks very fatigued out there. He's sort of setting a lot for three-pointers. He shoots 34% on them, which is, you could say it's not necessarily a bad shot. But it's not necessarily a good shot either. I'd preferably like to see him drive a lot more and use that sort of little, I don't even know you can call it a floater, but it's like a floater. I'd like to see him use that a little bit more because I feel like he's a little bit more efficient with that. But honestly, I've been so impressed with how he's stepped up into the role of being the team leader with the starting units and Shays went down. There was one play last night, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, he scored a bucket and then he was the first man back on defence and he was imploring everybody telling everybody, you need to do your job. And to me, I was so impressed with his leadership because he's he's only 19 years old. And to show that sort of instincts that early on is something that the Thunder have to cultivate. No, I think... I, I, sorry, I'm just going to jump in. I completely agree with what you're saying there, especially when I've said over the course of the weeks that he just seems to be the quietest guy on the team. Like He has no facial expression when he plays. Like He's, he's, he's very serious. He's very straight. 
and the way he plays and also talking about his three-point shot as well. He's at one point had the record for most threes by a Thunder rookie, I think, either most or tied. He's got a very solid three-point shot for a first-year player, which is only going to grow, but carry on. Yeah, I think that he's impressive. And also Pokrzewski. Like, if we consider Pokrzewski and where he was at the start of the season, especially on the defensive end of the floor, at the start of the season, you could kind of see that Pokrzewski knew the concepts and he knew where to be, but he just didn't seem to maximise that ability, whether that's due to his frame or whether that's due to he didn't quite get the pace of the NBA game. Now we're starting to see him really develop as a rim protector. He's got eight blocks in the last five games, which is yeah. seriously impressive from a rookie. Uh, but I think the best part about his game is that he's a really competent helper from the corners, especially on the weak side. You see him come over and like he makes that rotation, times it really nicely and just puts another body in the way. And he's seven foot tall, he's gangly as anything. And he just makes it so much more difficult for the opposing player to score. And I think he's really starting to uh, grow in that sort of role. And I think I'd be very interested to see how Mark chooses to use it. Because if you look at Poku's frame and how he can play, as a defender off the ball and on the ball, he could be really useful as someone who just sits in the passing lanes and picks passes off and just grabs steals and creates transition baskets. I feel like that's something the Thunder have to look into. No, I completely agree with you there. I think Poku has been fairly solid defensively throughout most of the season, I feel. I think I think the games when you were talking about the blocks then, I think he had six in a game, didn't he? Six in one game. I might be making that up and thinking of someone else, but I'm sure he did. But Poku's D hasn't been an issue for me this year. He's he's been fairly solid throughout most of it. Obviously, his offensive game at the start of the season was a big issue. I've always said he had a very Ray Allen-esque shot, how it's very not much of a dip on it, and it's just very straight. But it, it he's definitely put some work in that. It's developed. He sinks a lot more. And he always seems to have these good games when he gets a good start. He, he's definitely the type of guy to me comes across as a confidence player. If he gets a good start, he goes off. And we all know, even during my page, when I found out what draft pick we had, I wanted Poku. He was the guy I wanted. And I'm, I'm so glad we got him now. So I, I think he's going to be one of those players... He's not going to be as good as LeBron James, but you can look at LeBron James and he can play one through five if he wanted to. I I think you could look at Poku. I don't think he will. Like I can't see Poku playing the five or the two, but I think you could if needs must. Uh, so moving on, the last weekly segment before we'll talk to Janal a bit more personally, get his thoughts on some Thunder f- fandoms. Uh, so we're, instead of Tom's take this week, since Brandon chipped his nail, he decided to give his own take this week. So, self-explanatory. It's a take. You're going to argue either to or against it. So, I'm looking for my phone as if I can't remember it. It's a simple take. But the take was that Brandon gave is that the funder will not win any of their last remaining 13 games. What are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. I mean, I looked at the schedule earlier today, and when you look at it, I think Thunder is still seventh, or seventh in ter- or seventh hardest in terms of strength of schedule. They still have to play LA, Utah, the Golden State twice, Sacramento twice, Washington once, Philly, and 
Boston, and there's a couple of other teams I'm missing in there. And if you look at that schedule, you can't, it's difficult to make an argument for Thunder, but I think they will win a couple. I think they'll win two of the games for sure. I think that on the last day of the season, knowing what, knowing how injury prone Paul George is, and knowing that Kawhi needs regular rest to make sure he's in peak physical condition. I can see them probably resting all of their key guys and Thunder might be able to sneak a win there. And I think Sacramento aren't that good. I think they've got a lot of good talent, but Luke Walton is just, honestly, he's turning as a coach. But sorry to say this to all the Luke Walton fans out. He's not very good. And Mark will outcoach him. I don't care what talent Mark has got. He will outcoach him and he'll win one of those games. So I reckon Thunder win two, maybe three games. Yeah. Before, before we jump into what I think of that, you don't need to apologise to Kings fans. I have, a, I have a good friend of mine who is a Kings fan, and I also have another friend who idolises the 0203 Kings with Chris Webber, but they both know how bad Luke Walton is. They call for his head every single morning on Twitter. It's the first tweet I see every morning when I wake up, when they've tweeted, like, why have I woken up this morning with Luke Walton still in charge? Trust me, they know that. We all know how bad he is, how he even got that job is beyond me, or how he's even still there is beyond me. But in terms of Brandon's take, I'm exactly the same as you, Janelle. We're getting closer to the playoffs. Teams are going to start resting players. It happens every single year. Trust me, I know it, it messes me about on fantasy basketball. Seeing this player's now out tonight with a suspected groin injury. No, you're just resting him. Just just, just be honest. But no, I, I, I'm exactly the same. I see us winning two or three against these teams that will rest players. Utah, we got the Clippers last game, as you said. Um, there's going to be other teams as well that are just going to rest players. So I'd, I reckon I'm probably the same as you, actually, Janelle. I think it will be two two or three wins. So if, Brand, if Brandon listens back to this, just to hear how his take went, you got two no's and I hope your pedicure is going well as well. So now we're <laughs> now we're going to get into finding out a bit more about you. So you asked me before we came on how long I've been a Thunder fan, roughly four years. How long have you been a Thunder fan and why did you like the Thunder? What got you into the Thunder? I'm sure it's probably a silly question and the answer is going to be Russell Westbrook. But prove me I mean, wrong. I mean, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it was around, so I've been following Thunder for about five years. So 2016 was the first game I saw. So, like, uh, I think I came home from an exam one day and I didn't want to do any revision, but the basketball was on. I think it was the Thunder versus Golden State, the West Conference Finals. And BT used to run the replay around four o'clock in the afternoon of the whole game. So I sat down and I watched it and I just saw this guy with a mohawk on his head snarling and screaming at everybody and I was just like who is this guy I'm like I was like looks at the room and I thought the room's quite high and then he just rises up and yams it down with pure aggression screaming at everybody I'm like this guy's amazing that was a thought process in my mind and like so I started following the Thunder because of that I found Welcome to Loud City which was like a Thunder community at the time I started reading it on there and then obviously I think around sort of July time of that year on PlayStation Plus, NBA 2K16 had come out as a free game. So I downloaded it, started playing that, and I really got into watching basketball and enjoying it. 
And then sort of my Thunder fandom came from there. It was always Rossler, Rossler driven it. But then I got in and then, you know, you got guys like Steve, who I was a big fan of, and I still like him a lot. And then Paul George with his smooth shooting and Andre Robeson's defense for, I think, in 2017-18, right? Or was it 2017-18? Yeah. He was shooting for defensive player of the year. To me, I thought he was a legitimate candidate. He was top five when you look at how he played. And it was all of those little things that really brought me to the Thunder. So, like, even the fact that, you know, Oklahoma City lost KD, Paul George, all of these players within a relatively short, short space of time, it didn't turn me off. And then, obviously, when I got on Twitter and I met all these other fans who were just so devoted and passionate about their team, it felt like it felt like something I could really believe in because I come from football. In football, you pick a team and you stay with the team. You don't do this whole moving about thing where you follow a player. And to me, I thought like the Thunder was the most best team for me. No, it's, it's interesting to hear why the Thunder for you because it's exactly the same as it was for me. Watching a game live for the first time, thinking, who the hell is this kid? Why does he play with passion? You talk about football. I don't talk about football anymore because my team's rubbish. But um, I'm, I'm a big fan of guys who play with passion. So that's why Ross stuck out for me. You can't, you don't get many passionate than him in the NBA, especially like, as you said, making one dunk and he's screaming in a guy's face. But it's, it's, it's interesting to hear that it's kind of the same way how you watch the game and also 2K helps you a lot. Like that's exactly the same with me. I what uh, my friends would talk to me about uh, basketball and I'd be like, oh, I don't really know a lot. I was the other way around. 2K was on offer on the store first. So I was like, eh, I need a new game to play. Got into the career mode, enjoyed it, played for OKC. Liked playing with Westbrook. So I was like, right, I'll, I'll watch a game. I'm staying up late tonight anyway. And just fell in love with it. And I can echo what you said as well about the Thunder community uh, on Twitter. I, I find it amazing. Obviously, I'm blessed to be in the position I'm in where I've got people who willingly interact with me and talk about Thunder basketball. They talk to me all the time through DMs, through interacting with my tweets and stuff. I'm fortunate for having that. And I love having it as well. Like, I wouldn't give up my page now for that, as I'm sure you do as well, Janelle, how people read your work, people interact with you, etc. It's just makes you feel like you're one of them and feeling accepted. Now, we all know if... Uh, I'm lost. I don't know what I was going to say, but yeah, it's 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 great. <laughs> I'm I'm going to use the same excuse again. It's ten past midnight here now. I'm allowed to make mistakes this this week, um, but obviously, what's your what's your thoughts on the team this year overall? Is there anyone you dislike? Are you pro tank? Are you against the tank? Like some certain accounts on Twitter, but. Are you talking about Gary England? <laughs> no. That's all you have to talk about. <laughs> Come no, on, man. I, no, I am not talking about him. Not, Come on, brother. <laughs> we are not we are not wasting time. But what is what what are your thoughts on the team? I mean, in terms of the whole like tanking thing, I was always pretty pro-tank to begin the season because like you recognize that where the Thunder are, it's a small market team. The best player that's ever came in free agency is Patrick Patterson off a knee surgery. 
and they don't really have any way of getting anybody via trade or free agency to actually come here. So you have to build through the draft. And best way to build through draft is to get top five players. So like, it was always just a necessity to me. I mean, there was one point around the middle of the season where the Thunder were looking competitive and they're already about two games back from the plane. You think, oh, yeah, like the Thunder might, you know, might be as being a bit of a run there. And then I think the next game they got sort of, they got beat by Memphis by about 20 points. And it kind of just showed the difference. And then from that point on, I was like, nah, that's just foolish. Like, you can't even beat the Grizzlies, who are a playing team. There's no point. And from that point onwards, I have been pro-tank because to me, it makes the most sense. In terms of the team this year, I've been pretty happy with it. I wouldn't say there's anybody I dislike. I think I like everybody on the team this year, which is really odd because in previous years, there were guys like, I don't want to say horrible towards Terrence Ferguson, but I was never really a Terrence Ferguson fan. Josh Hustis never really appealed to me. Carl Singler, God. Carl Singler was just terrible. Uh, Samaje Christian, not good. Uh, but this year, I think everybody's all, you know, pretty likable. And I think partly because they're all hung, young, hungry guys who want to prove something. Even Horford, who does, oh, he's obviously not young, but he's hungry to prove that he's not washed. And like, I'd like everybody on the team this year because they've got an ability, they've played as a team, they've overachieved. And they just want to do something and get on. And like, I have to say, I've been impressed. The only person I wasn't that keen on was Justin Jackson at the start of the season. See, Justin was... Jackson didn't do anything for me. But then I looked over the course of the season, I kind of came around to him. I was like, you know what? This guy can do a couple of things here and there. He's a decent ninth, tenth player off the bench. No, I'm, I'm exactly the same start of the season. I'll say at the start of the season, I didn't really like Paul George, uh, not Paul George, uh, George Hill. I got half the name right, but in the wrong way round. I wasn't a George Hill fan before he came, but he proved me wrong. He and Al Horford came in, done the Chris Paul treatment, been utter professionals, and George Hill got rewarded for that, helping him get a move to a playoff team. I'm sure the same will happen with Al Horford in the off-season. He'll sit down with Sam Presti and find him the move that he wants, similar to how we've done with Westbrook and CP3. But no... Um, it's good to get your thoughts on the team. Obviously, last time we recorded, myself and Brandon gave uh, Coach Dagnall huge praise on the way he's been this season. He's been fantastic in terms of the player development, his decision-makings, giving players the right minutes, even coaches' challenges. I remember one of the games, uh, Bayes got called for a foul, which would have been three free throws. Bayes literally went like that straight away and... Dagnall was just like, yeah, straight away before seeing the replay shows he trusts his players as well. How how have you found Mark Dagnall this year? I think he's been a breath of fresh air. I mean, I don't want to disparage Billy Donovan, but I think as Chicago fans are now finding out, Billy's not very good at sort of setting a team up in terms of the tactics. He's a very good man manager, but tactically he's pretty poor. Uh, Coach Dags is kind of the opposite in a sense, is that I think he's very good at managing players, but it's still something to learn. But tactically, he's been very fluid and very astute in that he's effectively had three rosters this season with the amount of change and all that kind of stuff that's going on, roster turnover. And the Thunder have been largely competitive for, you know, say three quarters of the season. It's only been in the last 10 games where I feel like, okay, the Thunder are looking a bit overwhelmed. He's done such a brilliant job of putting pieces together and keeping the Thunder, you know, competitive. If you look at the bench unit, I personally thought the bench unit was going to be dog shit this year. I didn't like the look of it. I thought it was all full of mismatched parts. 
but somehow the bench unit has been one of the best performing parts of the Thunder season. And that has to be down to coaching because the talent's not really changed. It has to be due to his coaching. I think he's done a fantastic job. Is it down to his coaching or is it down to the Banana Club? The Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. There you go. That's that's another mistake. It's quarter past 12 now in the UK. That's another mistake I'm allowed. I mean, hey, some of them might be having, you know, yogurt and banana for breakfast. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> you might be right. Uh, potentially it could be due to them, but I don't, I'm trying to think about who was in that. And I think uh, that was Ty Jerome, Darius Miller, and there was somebody else. But Darius Miller's not really played that much this year, and Ty Jerome went to the bubble for a decent amount of time. Zaya Roby, Justin Jackson were both in there. Okay, so yeah, they've emerged and done really well, but I think with Coach, the thing that he's done really well is that he's simplified people's roles on the team Yeah, and he's made it clear, like everybody has the freedom to try to do stuff and learn stuff, but he's set it out that, you know, this is what your basic role is, so Kenrich, you're a versatile defender who we have, you can make plays off the dribble here and there and, you know, you're not down the odd long ball. Ty, you run the second unit. You know, Tony Bradley, you rebound the hell out of the ball. You protect the rim. You get, you know, like nice looks inside. And by having that clear structure in place, right, players understand what their roles and responsibilities are. And when they have certainty, they're able to perform better. I think that that's the key thing that he's done. Whereas if you compare that in the past to Billy, Billy's issue was that it didn't really seem like outside of Russell, Russell and Paul, nobody really knew what they were supposed to do. Like, Jeremy Grant was a rangy defender, but like his role was a bit undefined at times. Stephen Adams' role was literally just rebounding and playing, you know, defense. Where he, he was capable of more. And then same thing with Dennis Schroeder in that season with Russell. Dennis had more ability than that, but he never seemed like he was being best utilized. Well, with what Dags is doing, he's making the best out of what he's got. Yeah, he's not doing too bad for a PE teacher, is he? The so-called no, PE teacher. Hey, listen, PE teachers are reserved for one person and one person only. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, that's disrespectful. There's only one person who gets that title. Calling Dags a PE teacher is not good. <laughs> <laughs> so to finish off this week, we're going to get your quick thoughts on Sam Presti, how he's doing with the rebuild. How long do you think it's going to be Till we're competing again, do you see it being next year or do you see this season kind of carrying on to next year like I do? Uh, what's, what's, what's your thoughts around the rebuild and what's your thoughts on how Sam Presti is the best GM in the league and I won't be convinced otherwise? I fully agree with you on Presti. I think he is the best. I think his draft history in the past was a bit spotty. But then if you look where he was drafting, he was drafting late in the first round. And late in the first round is kind of a crapshoot as it is. And I'd also say they were very much like, I would say they're Troy Weaver picks in a sense. If you look at Hustis, uh, Ferguson, and I think there's somebody else that I'm missing, Dakri Johnson, uh, and Hamadou Diallo to some extent, they're all rangy athletes, you know, who were sort of picks because they could defend and they could do all that kind of stuff, but they didn't really bring much on offense. But we've now sort of seen more of Presti in these last couple of tracks. So basically, I'd say it's more of a Presti pick. Poku, Maladon, even if you look at someone like Justin Robinson, who they picked up on two-day, in the past he's got a negative wingspan, would never been looked at by the Thunder, but because he can shoot and he can playmate, the Thunder have taken a look at him. I think with the rebuild, I don't really see it carrying over to next season. If you look at Gabriel, Gabriel Deck, who's coming over, who is 27 years old, and then I think uh, 
Vladimir, I think it's Vladimir Micic, he's 27 as well. And Dex's coming on a four-year deal, and I think Micic will probably come on a four-year four deal, four deal, deal as well. I think by bringing in players who are sort of veterans and at that stage of their career, that suggests to me that Presti wants to try to compete with Shea and then hopefully Cade Cunningham if everything goes well. You pair those two together, Dort, you get Baisley in at the four or Poker in at four, and then you have, you know, your centre. Like, that's a pretty good lineup with a relatively decent bench. All right, the West is a bloodbath. It might just be, you know, a playing team for the first season, but the Thunder have to start making those strides now because as soon as you shine, as soon as you sign Shea to that second contract, the clock is running. You have to be able to be competitive by 2025 or 2026. Because if you're not, he's going to ask for a trade out and then we have to start the process again. The Thunder have to get deep in the playoffs by that point. I'm sure we all agree with that. As as tough as it's been to watch the team lose, I do enjoy, not enjoy watching the team lose, but you, you know what I mean. I enjoy it in terms of I like watching these youngsters develop because I know... A lot of them are playing for their future as well. Yeah, they might get traded, but they might not have the impact that they could have with us, which I think is a nice touch that they've all been given this year. But no, that's that's all for this week. Janelle, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. I'm sure I would. I look forward to having you on again. Hopefully you'll come on. Give yourself a quick plug, where we can find you, what you do, what you're about. So you can find me at uh, Welcome Slough City. Most of my writing is on there. Uh, I've had a couple of articles sort of published mostly about the Thunder's finances on Daily, on Daily Thunder. That's kind of like a little bit of a sideline thing here and there. And then you can find me at Twitter on number 29 uh, I appear on a couple of other podcasts here and there, but like I won't be doing the plugs on here. That can be elsewhere. But yeah, that's basically me. No, get... Give give the podcast plugs by all means. We're all part of the same community here. I, I do listen to the one you mentioned earlier with uh, I can never remember his name. Is it Hunter Hodge and Clemente yeah. Romanzo? I remember uh, Clemente. I've, I have listened to theirs before. So that's uh, Breakdown Breakdown. And then recently, the Welcome to Love City crew have started up a pod again for the first time in a couple of years. So that's called Rolling Thunder. That's me, Ben Mertens, uh, Trey Hunter, and also Clemente. So please check that out. That's a good listen as well. So thank you uh, for letting me come on your pod tonight. It's been fantastic. And yeah, good times, man. No, thank you for joining me, Janelle. And as always, thunder up, everyone. Thunder up.